0: You're listening to Whispers of a Witch. The following stories are from Campfire Tales of the Great Lakes by Christopher S. Larson. The Glinching Ghosts of Duluth. I used to work at the Glinching Mansion, employed as a tour guide, but not anymore. Not since I saw Elizabeth's haunting eyes in the dead of night. Don't get me wrong, there's no doubt that Elizabeth Congdon was a sweet and joyful lady. In talking with psychics, they say it's no different in the afterlife. However, it's a terrifying experience to be locking up late at night by yourself and have a full-body apparition floating in front of you. I never believed in ghosts. When I first heard that the Glensheen Mansion was haunted, I scoffed at the idea. I was more freaked out by the murders that took place in the mansion. Shivers went down my spine every time I walked into the billiard room. Thinking about the intruder breaking in and committing murder shortly thereafter, my first ghostly experience seemed to be more of an afterthought. As a tour guide, you sometimes have to lock up late at night after the last tour, along with going room-to-room checking on the place. Once the sun sets, we have lights on in every room of the mansion. When the last tour comes through, we turn the lights off. However, one time I noticed on my way out that a light was still on in the upstairs bedroom. I returned to the mansion to shut the light off when a strange feeling came over me, one filled with sadness and depression. I didn't think much of it at the time. I was more interested in turning off the light and getting out. The next event was a bit more serious. This dealt with your classic shadow figures. As I have said, I never believed in ghosts or things that go bump in the night. But the night I saw the shadow figure floating through the upstairs hallway, well, that changed everything. I talked with other tour guides, hoping that they could make sense of what I saw, to explain with a rational and logical mind that the shadows I saw were nothing more than a figment of my imagination. Unfortunately, they had seen them too. On one hand, it was a relief that others had the same experience. Then again, it meant just maybe ghosts and ghouls were real. Still, I wasn't quite ready to shift my belief and shrugged the paranormal incident off. After all, I couldn't just quit, scared of some silly ghost stories. I needed the money to help finish off my English degree at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Little did I know I should have listened to my inner sense and run like hell. Flickering lights and shadow figures continued to haunt my world at the Glensheen mansion. I tried my best to ignore them, but the more I avoided what was happening, the worse it got. Soon the experiences were happening in broad daylight with a full tour group. Did you see that? asked a little boy when he held his mom's hand. He made a fluttering gesture, flapping his hands up and down while moving his arms to the left. His expression seemed intense, devilish almost. Not like something you would see on your typical boy of about 10 years old. The little boy turned to me and asked, You saw it, didn't you? Of course I saw it. The shadow darted from the corner of my eye down the dimly lit hallway, pausing only for a moment as if mocking me. I smiled and ignored the boy's comment, continuing with the tour. After all, we're not allowed to discuss anything about the murder and certainly not the ghostly visits occurring on a frequent basis. I actually agreed with the policy. It's quite amazing all the positive things that the Congdon family had provided to the community of Duluth, not to mention the entire state of Minnesota and Midwest. Now, the important thing for the tours was to let other people know about the philanthropic life they offered, as well as the luxurious world of the rich and famous back in the early 1900s. Of course, none of that changed the shift in reality that was happening to me. I soon believed in ghosts wholeheartedly, and I was about to get the ultimate paranormal experience of my life. As the incidents continued and I accepted this new supernatural realm, I decided to research why this was happening. Not from a paranormal perspective like they do on TV. This was more on a personal level. As in, why are the ghosts haunting me? at Glensheen Mansion. I started with the history, how the Congdon family moved from New York to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and eventually Duluth, with a law practice in place and becoming avid capitalist. However, it seemed to me the real trouble began later with the adoption of Marjorie. As anyone familiar with the Glensheen Mansion knows, based on the many books and blogs on the Glensheen murder incident, Marjorie was at the forefront of speculation. Further research began to show a pattern of sociological concerns for the adopted Marjorie. But I went beyond that. Just because you're adopted doesn't mean you get involved with murder and possibly arson. Could there be something more to this? I wasn't sure, but the thought definitely concerned me, wondering if perhaps worse things had happened to Marjorie, causing her to spiral down a wicked path of no return. I even thought she might be dealing with demonic possession— although I could never find any proof. It makes you wonder if that's how the rich and famous in life get to where they are, by making deals with the devil. The hauntings continued. If anything, they got worse. Polarizing on my newly found belief in the unbelievable, with me perhaps acting like a catalyst, there seemed to be weekly occurrences of shadowy figures in the upstairs hallway, or that dreaded feeling of being watched when you know you're alone in the mansion. It didn't matter whether I was cleaning up after a long day of tours or just simply resting quietly in a vacant room. The feeling was there. Eventually, that eerie sense of someone behind you, inches from you, got the best of me, making me gasp or scream. Of course, every time I turned to look, nothing would be there. I finally had the last straw, happening the week before Christmas, We were preparing for several tours during the festive season, pulling out all the stops and setting up Christmas decorations throughout the mansion, complete with a seriously oversized Christmas tree. Of course, the boxes of holiday goodies were stored in the creepy basement, the last place I wanted to go. I avoided the damp, dark basement like the Black Plague. Up to that point, I had not experienced anything alarming down there, but others had. It was the usual shadow figures from the corner of your eye. Or an oppressing feeling of dread, or as if some mischievous creature was crouched in a dark corner waiting for you to shuffle by, possibly for the last time. The lighting in the basement seemed to be lit with medieval torchlights at best, but that was no concern of mine. I always brought a flashlight with me, checking repeatedly as I entered the darkness to ensure the light stick worked. What alarmed me most was the recent information i discovered while doing my paranormal research. Ghosts like to drain batteries. That meant my flashlight could be instantly drained of energy, making it as useless as plastic stakes at a vampire convention. That's why I carried extra batteries in my pocket. I just hoped the ghosts didn't notice them. The Christmas decorations needed were ropes of garland and boxes, used to spruce up the main staircase. There seemed to be an endless parade of boxes due to the length of steps involved. Not that I had the opportunity to retrieve all of them. After the first box, I was done. The basement on any given day would be cold and clammy. This morning, however, it was exceptionally chilly. And not just because it was December in Duluth with a frosty wind blowing across Lake Superior and pummeling the mansion. No, this was different. The chill seemed to come from within the basement. From within me, maybe, as I stepped off the staircase onto the basement floor. As luck would have it, the boxes were on the opposite side, making me slowly shuffle through the entire length of the basement. Flashlight in hand and ready for use, even with the lights functioning flawlessly. That is, until I reached the first box. Everything went dreamlike, in a nightmarish sort of way. It didn't seem like this could be happening to me, yet there I was. The basement lights flickered twice and went out. I swung around the room with my flashlight darting back and forth off the nearby walls, waiting for some demon to show its ugly face. While no demons appeared, something else did that terrified me just the same. It's one thing to hear voices that aren't there, or see shadow figures zipping around the edge of your vision, or even when things seem to be misplaced or moved. All these things could be considered paranormal, but when weeks and months pass by, you question yourself, trying hard to find other explanations, ones involving logic and reason. What I experienced down in the basement of Glencheen Mansion that morning defies all things logical and reasonable. That's what happens when you come face to face with a ghost. In my mind, I feel like the ghostly apparition hovering only a few feet from me looked hideous. With faded and drooping flesh and ashen eyes sunk so deep into the skull they were barely noticeable. Or that the body was seriously putrid with flesh and muscle barely hanging from bone. Like something from a classic zombie movie. But no. In reality, it was simply a normal-looking person. Sure, it was faded translucent, and hovering above the ground, but the features of the body were quite normal. Regardless, it terrified me all the same. It really boils down to being there, in the dark, knowing nothing was there a second ago, and then BAM! Full body operation. It was only for a second or two, but it felt like an eternity. The figure was definitely that of an old lady. I'm sure it was Elizabeth Congdon, maybe trying to help me with the boxes, or perhaps the nurse that was murdered, still ready and willing to lend a helping hand. Either way, I was out of there, never to return. Now here's a little history about that ghost story. The Glensheen Mansion, built in 1908, is one of the most mysterious places and most talked about locations in northern Minnesota especially among those searching for ghosts. Why? Mostly because of the tragedy befalling Elizabeth Congdon and her nurse, who were brutally murdered and left to die in the mansion. Construction of the mansion began in 1905 by Chester Congdon, naming it Glen Sheen, which means Shining Glen, after his ancestral home in Surrey, England. The mansion was finished by 1908, costing nearly $1 million, a sizable amount for most people during the turn of the century, but not for Mr. Congdon and his lawyer profession. Overlooking the shores of Lake Superior, it was the envy of Duluth and the surrounding areas. That is until the tragic occurrence of the late 1970s. Elizabeth, age 83, and daughter of the late Chester Congdon was found dead on June 27th, 1977, suffocated in bed with a pillow her nurse, Belma, was also murdered, bludgeoned to death in a stair landing with a candlestick. It appears as though the murderer came through a window in the billiard room, threw the nurse down the stairs, then suffocated Elizabeth with a pillow. Ultimately, the case of the Glencheen murders is unsolved. So what really happened? Obviously, a murder occurred, and for anyone interested in the paranormal, the Glencheen Mansion is no doubt ripe for investigation. The Glencheen Mansion is reported to be haunted by Elizabeth Congdon, as well as her nurse Velma. Numerous former workers, mostly tour guides, have commented on the haunting incidents. Most notably, the ghostly mist of Elizabeth can be seen in the library, reading books she enjoyed so many times while living. Other frequent paranormal events reported are that screams can be heard after hours, as if the murders are still taking place. Shadowy figures can be seen gliding across the halls and basement, as well as the feeling of being watched. Reports of lights flickering on and off by themselves in many rooms across the mansion, especially in the library and the basement. Some have claimed to see two women standing in the upstairs windows, looking out toward the trees toward Lake Superior. And the main staircase and its landing have been known to occupy a phantom lady. So it seems something is going on at Glenchine Mansion. And I highly suggest you tour the location. Just don't ask about the ghost. They won't talk about them. Whispers of a Witch have saved the best for last, or at least, it's my favorite. It involves the very real sinking of the Admiral and the Cleveco, one of Ohio's most famous shipwrecks. As Christopher Larson points out, the treacherous and unforgiving waterways are no stranger to tragedy ever since they were first explored back in the 1600s. At a moment's notice, storms can appear easily taking ships and their crews to a watery grave. There are plenty of naturally occurring reasons this could happen, but according to local legend, the truth is far more nefarious. And so I leave you with the Storm Hag of Lake Erie. My dwelling place is fathoms deep, and most might say quite miserable, Not for the likes of my kind, mind you. It is the creatures called men who cringe at the thought of my lair. Men, land dwellers by right, feebly attempt to circumvent the space above my domain. I scoff at their endeavor, knowing well enough they should not venture too far from shore. Yet they do, and that is when we feed. We are an ancient race called storm hags or water spirits. Many of my sisters travel the larger bodies of water, the endless seas. As for me, will I choose a different path, one full of quietness and solitude. That is, of course, until I grow hungry, angry too, which is what happened with the ship called the Cleveco. I remember all the vessels I've taken to my lair, far beneath the churning waters of Lake Erie. I keep them in my graveyard of ships, like game mounted on a human hunter's wall. So I've heard. They are well concealed, mind you, hidden in my saffron cave. The Cleveco I recall most vividly. Its shipmen were the most difficult to lure and in turn my greatest prize. Yet like all my human prey, I prevailed. It was late December in the early 1940s, as humans count. As for me, time is an illusion, for I am a creature eternal, or at least my species has never experienced aging and death. I have lived longer than I can remember, most certainly well over a thousand years. As I have said, the Cleveco was a special prize to me. It left the human town of Toledo on its way east. The winter months were the worst times for ships to travel in my lake. What with frigid temperatures and steely ice, this made shipmen make poor decisions, which bade well for my thirst of souls. The Cleveco ran into tough waters near the coast of Cleveland, having to be escorted by another ship, smaller, named the Admiral. As I watched from below following their progress, I smiled devilishly, knowing I soon would be getting two ships that night. The Admiral and its crew would be consumed first. Not, however, before having a little enjoyment. You see, catching souls has less to do with the outcome and more about the adventure. The victims must know they are stalked, and to eventually find themselves confronting their fate of an untimely death. Why would I do such a thing? It simply makes the soul taste that much better. While the weather across Lake Erie had become bitter and choppy, with a moderate northerly wind briskly blowing through, the waves were by no means treacherous, balmy for the likes of the animal's crew. I could see in their eyes as I peered through the moonlight darkness that the watery routes of Lake Erie were no stranger to them. They fared the ebb and flow of surf like few others. What a shame to snatch their souls, no doubt from a place they felt most comfortable. Yet this game of soul-catching was beyond me. The spirit of my quest transcended any thoughts or actions of my own. I must do that which I was made to do. As with the powers bestowed upon my kind, I summoned a small storm, local to their route. As I have indicated, my soul-catching must first induce a fertile adventure. It must be filled with conflict, trauma, false security, and ultimately a clear recognition of their own demise. A squall builds conflict and concern, which in turn makes the crewmen stand true to their merit and conviction. Then, just as the storm dissipates and all seems well, I strike. I increased the storm's intensity, playing with their wills. Ending their lives with a storm would be much too easy. I had command of the water, like Poseidon himself, As my self-created gale subsided, I began the next phase of my malicious plot. I began swimming near the surface, easily within view, even in the dark cloud-filled sky. Soon panic sets in on the crewmen, like all other times and all other ships I have consumed. Their steely actions become loosened, slackened by the fear of the unknown. Yet I am not that unfamiliar to them. My name and deeds have been propagated from ship to ship, lake to lake, ocean to ocean. Any seasoned seafaring mortal knew of us. We were the mighty soul-snatching sea hags, all bent to our needs, all were devoured by our hunger. They soon began to see my green skin and my long spindly arms, and I flashed my yellow glowing eyes. That's when their fear is set, replacing the worldly knowledge of ships they were so accustomed to. Mistakes begin to be made. Ropes are let loose accidentally. Routes are miscalculated. That is when I release my full fury. The storm had depleted in strength, to the point where clouds had vanished and the moon began to spread light across the ship in waves. At least for the Admiral and its crew. As for the Cleveco. Still tied to the tugboat admiral, I had set forth a fog to entrap them, keeping them distant and aloof of the impending admiral's demise. With the hearts of the admiral's crewmen comforted, I began my song, which lures them beneath the waves. A swan song, impossible to resist, tempting them to an elusively better Then, with all their souls mesmerized and trembling with ecstasy, and with a clear, star-filled sky, I command the waves to part, sending the Admiral swirling and sinking below to my domain. The whirlpool does not happen swiftly. For what sort of sport would that be? No. The Admiral descends slowly, for each and every crewman to gaze into my eyes to see my electrified power and fiery fury. Then, one by one, they meet the gnashing of my dagger teeth biting deep into their flesh. They know, however, that the devouring of their bodies is the least of their concerns. There are worse fates for man. They know my prize does not stem from flesh and bones, but from their very soul. Within minutes, Although for those of the crew it seemed no doubt like an eternity, the Admiral was no more. I had prevailed once again, like so many other times before, but even with my centuries of skill and knowledge, I had made one minuscule mistake. The Admiral, though a small ship and an easy challenge, had been tied to a larger, more potent vessel, the Clevecoe. While one would think it was obvious to sever the rope holding one to the other, I could not. No matter how much power I commanded of the lake beneath and the storms above, I could not remove the bond between the two ships. It held like an oath, a commandment of souls between the two separate vessels. The consequences were horrific. I was forced to rip the souls of one crew while retaining the lives of the others. I enjoyed the adventure of tormenting them like my other sister Stormhags, but this was too much even for me. I had to act promptly to either relinquish my stash of souls from the Admiral or bring the crew of the Cleveco to a speedy demise. Being a Stormhag, born of creatures worse than demons, I readily chose the latter. It took time, mind you, which led into my adventure of soul-stealing. Hours went by with the crew of the Cleveco await an alert to the swelling lake around them. Yes, I spent time conjuring squalls to incite concern, and to occasionally create heroes, mind you? Their will was played hard throughout the night, ever pondering if they'd live to see the light of day. They did, but not by the hand of my goodwill. And that is why the Cleveco stands out as one of the greatest ships I've ever caught. Why maybe one of the lesser gods, with the ability to command only a localized fury of water storms. I recognize that there are other gods, some possibly stronger than myself. I spend a great deal of time ensuring I do not meet the likes of them. Yet, no matter how much focus I give to this prevention, it happened in the case of the Cleveco. I do not know what god helped them out, but it was far stronger than me, at least initially. I fabricated storm after storm, "'tossing them upon the floundering cleaveco "'with my usual abatement in between, "'then swarming close to show my demon-spawned green skin, "'sharp daggered teeth and yellow illuminating eyes. "'Yet nothing would bend the will of the crewmen. "'No sooner had I opened the water to swallow them whole "'and ready myself to consume their flesh and souls "'when a power unknown to me would ascend, "'forcing me to abandon my approach.' Dawn came and went as I battled endlessly with this unknown force, a god beyond my knowledge and comprehension. To this day I know not which god I battled, yet I would not give up. The challenge only fueled my task, pushing me beyond my normal, watery cat-and-mouse game that I played. Countless times I sank the mighty Cleveco, yet every time it prevailed forced up from the depths of my cave and ship cemetery by some shining and fathomless power. An illuminating energy pulled the vessel each time from its grave, sending it back atop the waves, more buoyant than before. Just as I was about to relinquish my attack, giving up all hope, a stroke of luck sprouted. I say luck because there was nothing done on my part. On my last bout, the crew seemed to have given up all hope relaxing their grip on the watery reality around them. I could feel it, their soul's power departing from their bodies. I smiled a yellow dagger tooth grin. Soon the passion encapsulated within their hearts would be mine. This time the vessel sank and did not return. I devoured their souls one by one, basking in the fear and flesh of their watery grave the ship splintered into tiny fragments, becoming a ghostly field of shadows from its once mighty size. I beamed a greater jagged grin as the crew's last mate succumbed to my wrath, and I watched the Grand Cleveco, blood, bones, and wood, settle on the lake floor, nestled up against the other prize ships in my collection. The battle was over, and I, once again, had won. Some say a wicked beast, such as the likes of me, has no soul. I refute such a statement. There are plenty of souls within the walls of my fiendish flesh, all captured of my own heartless doing. Ye who embark across the mighty Lake Erie, beware. Whether it be sailing, swimming, or perhaps innocently prancing across the shoreline, all take heed to my warning. You have entered my dominion and are subject to my stinging power and torturous watery ways. You may pay the ultimate price. One that will relinquish your soul. You weren't using it anyway, right? (laughs) So in the calm after a storm, on whatever waterway you navigate, As the waves subside and the sun's rays poke through the dissipating clouds, listen for the song of my sisters. Come into the water, love, beneath the waves, where dwell the bones of sailor lads inside my saffron cave. If you listen intently and do as we say, Your end will be quick. If not, may the god you worship provide a swift and painless death. For we certainly will not. These poems and stories were narrated by Jennifer Ann Scott. Please visit witchvoice.com And if you'd like to support this podcast and gain access to additional recordings, please visit patreon.com forward slash whispers of a witch. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Witch Voice. Until next time, stay wicked.